morning, Orchard Church. You guys doing good? Enjoying the AC? Turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. This is, Lord willing, uh, we, we were able to accomplish it in the first service. We're going to try and do it again in the second service. We are going to complete our study through the book of Ecclesiastes today. So hopefully that is exciting to you, especially for those of you that have maybe been coming the last several months. Uh, the way we predominantly study the Bible is verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We start in a book of the Bible that God leads us to. We work our way all the way through. And so today we're going to complete Ecclesiastes. It's called Answering Life's Difficult Questions. If you're using a Bible provided, you should be able to find chapter 12 Ecclesiastes on page. 273 if you picked one of those up and today is actually the second part as we're finishing looking at chapter 11 and chapter 12 of this book called life in the sweet spot now last week we talked about the sweet spot of a baseball bat and how important it is to hit that today we're going to talk about the sweet spot of a golf club how many guys are golfers ladies guys golfers out there okay don't make fun of me today I do golf some uh, but I haven't been able to play as much as I'd like to I think every year I say I want to try to play a little bit more and Seems like I play a little bit less, just too busy. But if you are a golfer, there is what's called a sweet spot on the golf club, on the golf head. And golfers will tell you that the key to hitting the ball far, the key to hitting the ball straight, to get it to do what you want it to do, which rarely ever happens, but the key to doing that is hitting the sweet spot. It's right here. And they have designed clubs nowadays. They even have a, a cavity back on them and a little a piece of metal that's right in the sweet spot. So if you hit it right in the sweet spot, good things are going to happen. You look at a lot of professional golfers and watch them play golf. Uh, they don't swing real hard. They're really balanced. And the key is just not swinging as hard as you can, but hitting the ball in the sweet spot and good things will happen. And so since I am behind on my golf game and I need to practice, I'm going to see if I can hit one of these in the sweet spot today. Now we did this in the first service, only had to take two people to the hospital. So we're going to try to keep that to a minimum in, in the second service. But you know, you don't want to hit it off the toe of the club. Thing, bad things will happen and the ball will go this way. You don't want to hit it off the heel of the club. It'll go this way. So I put one in the middle section up there last time so where no one's sitting. Uh, these two ladies here, our two twins, you, you guys might be ready for this, okay? So let's see what we can do. I'm just really going to try to hit Bryce back there. I'm just going to tell you guys now before you freak out, these are not real golf balls. Some of y'all are like, those look real. They're plastic, okay? Now I'm going to try not to do what I did in the first service. I missed the first one. I whiffed. You wouldn't want to not do. So let's see if I can do this. All right, here we go. We're going for the middle section up there. I'm going for the sound booth, all right? Here we go. Let's see what happens. You got, yeah, I'd hold your Bibles up right there too. Here we go. Hey, not bad. I better stick with that one. I learned in golf, if you hit one good, just don't hit any more. So I'm going to be done. That is how you want to live life. Not how you hit a golf ball, but live in the sweet spot. And God has a sweet spot for all of our lives that is found in the Word of God. And particularly, we can find out how to live life with God in the sweet spot by applying what Solomon is teaching us in the last two chapters of Ecclesiastes, chapters 11 and 12. Now, we've entitled this Answering Life's Difficult Questions. This has been Solomon's search for meaning in life and finding out his life worth living. And what he's telling us in the last two chapters, once he brings God into the picture with 
with God, you can live life in the sweet spot. And things can go so much better when you do things God's way. And he presents for us here in the last two chapters of 11 and 12, four pictures of life. And if we will view life according to these four pictures, and there's four practical applications that go with each of these pictures, it will teach us how to live life in balance in the sweet spot. It's not about trying to live life our way. It's not about trying to swing away and do the best we can. It's about the balance of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our life as we apply God's Word and we'll find out that life goes much easier and much smoother when it's done God's way instead of our way. If you found that to be true in your life, would you say yes? That's what we're talking about. Now let me give you a quick review of what we talked about last week. In chapter 11 we started looking at the first two pictures. We're going to close out with chapter 12 today and the last two pictures. And these are practical pictures that put us in the sweet spot. So you have this in your notes. Get these down. The first picture Solomon presented in chapter 11. If we want to live life in the sweet spot with God, we have to view life. How many of you guys remember this? View life as a... Okay, nobody remembers. Yes, we've slept since last week. I think I heard one person say it. As an adventure. View life as an adventure with God. And when you view life as an adventure and expect the unexpected, the practical application is you'll live life not by your, your ways and your thoughts, but you'll live life by faith. And that is the way God wants us to live life. Live life by faith in God. And when you don't understand the things that are going on, trust God. He'll get you through it. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please who? God. And he used two illustrations, the merchant and the farmer, in chapter 11, in the first few verses. And he talked about how the merchant and the farmer have to exercise faith to be successful and to live in the sweet spot. So life is not meaningless when you know God, when you view it as an adventure, it has purpose, and we live it by faith. The second gift, or the second picture that uh, Solomon gave us in chapter 11, and we're going to continue it today, is life is to be viewed as a gift. View life as a gift. A gift from who? God. God is the one that gave us the gift of life. And when we view life as a gift from God, we will enjoy it. We will enjoy life. Six times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, enjoy life. Enjoy life. The good days, the bad days, the good times, the bad times. View it as a gift from God. God will get you through it. Enjoy life that he has given you. And then he gave us three specific instructions as we went through chapter 11 last week. We looked at the first two and we're going to pick up the third one today. If you're going to view life as a gift that you enjoy, you number one, you have to rejoice, he said. You've got to rejoice in life, especially when you're young and you're full of energy and life, you know, things aren't as difficult. But all of life, every season of life, because one day we'll give an account of our life to God. We'll talk more about that today. But there's some things that can keep us from enjoying life the way God wants us to enjoy it and view it as a gift. And there's, there's one particular thing. I mean, they Come in, it comes in different shapes and sizes and forms, but really you can boil it down to one little three-letter word in the Bible. There is something that can keep us from hitting the sweet spot of life that God intended. There's something that can hinder our relationship with God. There's something that can make our lives more difficult than they need to be, and it is called sin. We don't like to talk about it, but it's true. And so we said we have to rejoice in our life, but second instruction is we have to remove sin. Uh, Solomon told us last week, put away evil from your flesh. 
is what he told us last week in verse 10. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. The way to remove sorrow from your heart and difficulties from your life that don't need to be there is to make sure you remove evil and sin from your flesh. And now today we look at the third instruction. If we're going to view life as a gift that we enjoy, we not only need to rejoice, we not only need to remove some things, but we need to remember Letter C, we need to remember some things, and that's where we pick it up today in chapter 12, verse 1. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into our study today. Father, thank you for your word and your spirit to teach us. Lord, as I prayed in my truck coming over here this morning, I just ask you, God, that we would experience you today, that we would hear from you today. Lord, there's nothing that I have to say to these, these folks that are here today that is of any value or merit, but Lord, you have a lot to say to them from your word and through your spirit. I pray that we would leave here today, Lord, thinking about you, challenged by you, your word, your spirit, as it's spoken to our lives, and most importantly, as we apply it and we're doers of the word and not just hearers, and that we would learn what it means to live life in the sweet spot with you, and how much better things go, and how much more you can bless us when we live according to these principles. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Remember, we need to remember Remember some things. Look at chapter 12, verse 1, how Solomon starts off. He says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Remember God while you're young, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Or you get to the point where you have a lot of regrets because you've made a lot of bad decisions and you haven't remembered God. He says, verse 2, while the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened or the dark or difficult days of life come and the clouds do not return after the rain. Now, now, Solomon's theme in chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 8 are clearly this. Remember God, your creator, while you're young, particularly while you're young, is what he's going to say here. I, I want to tell you guys some news today. No matter what age you are or how old you are today, you're getting older. Some of you say, amen, yes, I know. You're getting older. I know we don't like to hear that. We don't like to admit that, but it's true. It's a fact of life. And that's what Solomon is gonna remind us here. Remember your creator and the days of your youth because we're all getting older. You know, we go through all kinds of seasons of life. You know, it's, it's like we're born in the springtime. Springtime is a time of new birth. Things are budding, things are born. You're born in the springtime. Little baby, you're so cute. You know, everybody is so cute. He loves you, takes your picture. You, then you start to grow up a little bit and you can run and you can walk and you can climb and it's like the summertime of your life and you know you enjoy a lot of those years and everything is great and you feel good and you can go out and play you know in 102 heat in Denver all day long and it doesn't bother you yesterday we Caleb plays baseball he had a double header double header yesterday we were in the sun for six hours you know we're dying we're under this overhang with with shade and we're dying and he's out there the kids are just running around like it's no big deal man those were the days that's the summer days of your life. And then you get a little bit older and fall shows up. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Things start to hurt a little more. They bother you a little more. You start to ache and hurt in places you never knew you could hurt in. And, and you don't recover as quickly. And then winter shows up. And man, it's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to get around. You know, it seems like it's one ailment after another. And you go, just like Solomon, those days come and you say, I have no pleasure in this. It's winter days of my life, and now I'm in a diaper. You know, this really stinks. You know, life is a big circle, isn't it? Baby starts out, you know, comes into the world, you know, a baby needs to be cared for, it needs to be fed, it's in a diaper, it babbles, it drools, it has no teeth. You know where I'm going. You get old someday, it's back to the same thing again. It's just not as cute then, is it? 
But here's some good news. Everybody's getting older. Everybody's getting older. And you know, people that we look at, you know, uh, movie stars and singers, they're getting older too. And I want to show you a video right now of my new favorite Christian comedian. His name is Tim Hawkins. He's actually going to be in Denver, and some of us are going tonight. And uh, he talks about singers that are getting older. This will encourage you. Yes, I'm talking about getting older, but, you know, I think that uh, being a comedian, I could do comedy for a long time, and, and still it would look, you know, okay. I think a, a lot of musicians I see, like rock stars, they need to quit after a while. And it just doesn't look right, you know. <coughs> but I'm like, if you're a musician, though, I say, you know, keep, if you get older, just keep singing, but just change your songs. You know, make it look more believable, no matter what group you are. You know, like the village people. <laughs> change your songs, you know. I got a letter from AARP. Something like that. No matter who you are, like Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton's getting older, he'll have to change his songs like a... When the day is begun, put some of this on Rogaine. If you got a false spot and want to keep what you got, Rogaine. Your hairline is declining, you shine. But uh, Neil Diamond. Okay, maybe not. Neil Diamond getting older. Here we go. Jello again. Jello. I always eat Jello. I love that jiggly thing you do. And you make lunch great. I can hardly wait. Jello. Uh, but no, uh, no collection like this would be complete. As far as getting older, uh, would be uh, Garth Brooks. I think. Uh, I would love to hear what Garth is going to sing up into his 80s, so uh, we'll finish this with Garth. Here we go. <laughs> My buddies and me were once wild and free. Now we ain't doing so great. We used to go down and tear up the town, and now we're all in bed by eight. Our parties are fewer, we're sipping in shore. <laughs> Instead of our glass of champagne, now when we get together, we just talk about the weather. And all we ever do is complain. Cause all my friends have hip replacements. Cause they slipped and fell in their garage or basement We're old and pale And our bones are frail Yeah, years ago we were still in bases Now we spend our time having wheelchair races Oh, all my friends have hip
Oh, man. I know he'd be a lot more fun to watch the rest of this time, but we do need to get spiritual, okay? Oh, he's hilarious. Check him out, Tim Hawkins. You can go to his website. He is, he is amazing. We're excited to go see him tonight. But what Solomon is trying to do here in chapter 12 is to get us to remember our Creator in the days of our youth before our days are over. And he's trying to alert us to the fact that we're all getting older, and if we want to live life in the sweet spot with God, we've got to remember to lay a good spiritual foundation early in life. Before we sow our wild oats, and like I said last week, pray for a crop failure, because that doesn't usually happen. We need to, to remember God early. You know, we had our teenagers this week that went to um, our student retreat, and a lot of them made some great decisions for the Lord, and we're really excited about that. I was really encouraged to hear that some of them posted on Facebook the spiritual decisions that they made. Man, we want to pray that they will remember those decisions and continue to live by those, and it'll save them a lot of heartache in life. Amen? Are you excited about the decisions our teens made? That's great. Now, I want you to, if you don't mind writing your Bibles, underline this word remember. When he says remember now your creator, this word remember means more than just, you know, hey, while you're going through life, every once in a while you might consider God or think about God. It, it's, it's, it, there's much more attention drawn to this than just, hey, think about God every once in a while. Let me give you the, the definition of what this word remember means. You've got it in your notes. It means a call to action. I mean, Solomon is calling us to action to remember God, our creator, in the days of our youth before the difficult days come. Pay attention to. It also means to consider with the intention of obeying. Consider these things Solomon is teaching with the intention of obeying. You know, I wish my kids would remember their chores like that. Did you remember to do your chores? Yeah, we remember. Did you remember with the intention of obeying? That's the real key. You know, it's kind of like an, uh, you know, going on a flight on an airplane. You know, it happens every time you get on the flight, they're getting ready to taxi down the runway, you know, they're getting ready to pull off, and, and what happens, the flight attendant come, comes out, you know, and, and she's telling you, you know, the safety briefing, you know, and buckle your seat belts like this, and if, the, if we lose cabin pressure, this is going to happen, and you know, you've got a little seat back card and all that, and of course, everybody is on the edge of their seat just listening intently to what she has to say, right? No, nobody listens, nobody's paying attention, nobody's remembering anything she said, they're listening to their iPod, getting their last minute text messaging in, you know, checking their phones, and then you take off. Nobody paid attention, nobody remembered a word that she said, they just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. But imagine if you're, you know, you're flying on that airplane and then all of a sudden th seems, seem, seems, things seem to be going okay, and you hear a big boom, you wonder what's going on, the plane kind of shakes, the captain comes on and says, um, I need your attention. Uh, we have lost an engine. We're going to need to make an emergency landing. Things could get a little dicey, a little bit rough. We're going to have the flight attendant come out once again and remind you of that safety briefing. I think people will probably remember what she has to say. They will be paying attention with the intention of obeying. That's what Solomon is saying here. When he's saying remember, he's saying there's some things we need to pay attention to if we want to live life in the sweet spot. We need to pay attention to these things as if our life depended on it. You know why? It does. It does if you want to live the life that God wants you to live in the sweet spot. You know, there are a lot of adults that we could bring up here and have them give testimony that if they had it to do over again, they would have lived their life differently. 
They wish they could have changed some things. Solomon, as I reminded you many times, he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes. At the end of his life, he's an old man. He's looking back, and he made a lot of dumb decisions. There was a big period of his life that he left God out of his life, and he experienced all kinds of turmoil and problems and consequences. And he's saying, don't do that. Remember God. Now, it doesn't matter what your age is today. It's never too late to remember God. Start where you are. Remember, put these things into practice. I know a lot of people that I've talked to that accepted Christ as their Savior late in life. And when you talk to them, they say, you know, the only thing I regret is that I didn't do it sooner. I wish I would have done it earlier in life. How that might have made a difference in my life and my decisions and my marriage and my family. You know, the writer of Hebrews said this about making decisions for the Lord while we have the opportunity. He said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do it today. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We're going to talk more about this in a minute, but if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will never live life in the sweet spot until you do that. You'll try to figure out life on your own. You'll mess it up and you'll have all kinds of problems. Does that mean if you accept Christ, everything is perfect? No. But God will be with you. Jesus will be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He'll teach you. Make that decision today. Now in an attempt to really get our attention and help us remember we're getting older, we find in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12 the most imaginative and descriptive pictures of getting old that you find anywhere in the scriptures. It's actually almost humorous. I mean Solomon just goes into great detail to make sure we get it that we're getting older and what's going to happen as we get older. Let's begin to look at this in verse 3. Now what he does is he pictures an old house. He pictures an old house falling apart, decrepit, and just going back like to the dust. And then he uses that picture like it's our bodies and our lives. And some of y'all go, oh yeah, I understand that. You know, things aren't working like, quite like they used to. Um, you know, a house is used to describe our bodies and lives throughout Scripture. Paul used a house to describe our bodies in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He said, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So Solomon gives us this description of getting older and helps us to remember life is a gift that we better enjoy before these things start to happen to us. Let's look at them. Verse 3, he says, first of all, when you get older, it's going to be a time when the day when the keepers of the house tremble. The keepers of the house are our arms and our hands. That's what we use to take care of ourselves. That's what we use to uh, take a shower, wash ourselves, clean ourselves, put our, our clothes on. But as you get older, the keepers of your house, your hands and arms, they get frail. They get weak. They begin to shake. They get arthritis. You got your own little, you know, earthquake going on and tremors. That's what happens when you get older. Look at verse 3. He goes on to describe this old age. When the strong men bow down. And he's not talking about, you know, as you get older, you're on your knees bowing down all the time, praying, getting super spiritual. That would be a good thing. But what he's describing is you begin to hunch over and you bow down. And you see sometimes older people, I mean, they, they're looking down. And the, the only advantage to that is they can tie their shoes at any moment. They're right there. But other than that, it's rough. It's, it's difficult, you know, the strong men, your legs are like the pillars of the house. You know, I told you guys last week, I'm getting older. And uh, my wife's got me on vitamins now. Five a day. I got her down to three last week. We, we compromised. We did a little bargaining thing. But you know what? Uh, she says, you need these. You're getting older. Things are going to start falling apart. And it's true. Verse three, I'm with you. 
And then look, he goes on and says, it's a time when the grinders cease because they are few. What do you think the grinders are? It's your teeth. Your teeth, you start to lose your teeth. Your teeth start to fall out. You get older, it's no more uh, peanuts and steak. It's yogurt and jello. You know, grinders begin to cease. I remember just a few years ago, actually a couple of years ago, um, I was chewing, I was eating some food, and it wasn't even hard food, it was just regular food, and all of a sudden I'm like, what, what is that? And I, I, I spit something out, and half my tooth had broken off. And it's in my hand, I'm like, what is this? I'm like, what is going on? So I go to the dentist, and he's like, oh yeah, you had a, a tooth break off, and he's like, we gotta do this and that, and you know, to it, and we fixed it up, you need a crown, and that's gonna be like umpteen thousand dollars. And I'm like, oh, this stinks. I'm like, well, I need to know, Mr. Dentist, what can I do to prevent this from ever happening again? And he's like, nothing. It's just gonna get worse and worse. <laughs> Great, thanks for that, I appreciate that. But the grinders begin to cease. One comedian that was older said this. He said, I wake up in the morning, I try to find my glasses so I can find my teeth so I can ask my wife to help me find my hair. <laughs> Maybe you've been there. Last part of verse 3, he describes old age as a time when those that look through the windows grow dim. He's talking about your vision. Your vision begins to deteriorate. You know, for the longest time in my life, I didn't need glasses. I didn't need contacts. I was fine. Then I started noticing as I was reading, you know, and studying the Bible and, and, and reading anything and TV things were starting to get blurry. And, you know, the eye doctor's like, yeah, you need some glasses. And so I did contacts for a while and I got tired of taking them in and out. And, you know, I, then I found I had to have them all the time. And now it's like I can't, I can't live without them. I take my glasses off and y'all are just blurry out there. And I, uh, the lady that cuts my hair, uh, I always take off my glasses. You know, and she cuts my hair and then she, you know, whips me around to the mirror. It's like, well, what do you think? How's it look? I'm like, I don't have a clue. Can I have my glasses? And then you put them on and I can see. So anybody else with me? Amen. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Verse 4, he says, at the time when you get older, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. Not only does your arms fail and your legs fail and your eyes fail, you begin to lose your hearing. Your hearing starts to fail. That's what he's talking about here when he says the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. Your hearing starts to fail. Let me say that again. Your hearing starts to fail. My father and mother-in-law were just with us for about two weeks and um, my father-in-law a couple of, a few years ago was starting to have trouble with his hearing and you know my mother my mother-in-law was like you need to go to the doctor you need to have that checked you know it's driving us crazy and so he finally went make a long story short they're like you really need a hearing aid at least in one of your ears he didn't want to do it so he finally got it and to this day he doesn't like to wear it and you know he, sometimes it's in sometimes it's out and while he was with us the last couple of weeks he had left his hearing aid out for a couple of days and we're all like having to talk really loud and ask him questions and he's not responding and Finally, Caitlin, our daughter who's 12, she said, Papa, why don't you just wear your hearing aid? And his response was, what? <laughs> True story. He goes on to describe old age. He says in verse 4 in the middle, it's a time when one rises up at the sound of a bird. It's, you get up with the birds. Now, it, it, this seems like a contradiction. I mean, if you, you get older and your hearing is bad, then why are the birds waking you up? Because you can't hear them. 
But this is, a, this is a, an expression. It's a matter of speech. He's not saying you necessarily hear the birds. Uh, it may be that, but it's you're up with the birds. How many of you guys have noticed as you've gotten older, you wake up much earlier? Anybody like that? Some of you? Yes? You know, I want to tell you that, that Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, this verse right here that we just read, um, uh, when one rises up at the sound of earth, this verse gives me incredible encouragement and hope and is a blessing to me. Because I can still sleep in right now. You know, I can still sleep in with the best of them. Maybe not quite like I used to, but, uh, you know, I, I can't quite hit double digits anymore. But, you know, I can still sleep in pretty good. So that helps me to know that maybe I'm not as old as I, I think I am. But, you know, as you get older, that happens. Isn't it crazy? You know, most of your life, the working years of your life, you got to get up early. you got to get your alarm. you got to go to work. And it's a struggle. It's a chore. It's difficult to have to get up early and go to work. You finally get old enough. You've worked enough years. You're able to... To retire. You don't have to get up early. You don't have to go to a job. You don't have to be at appointments. And you're up with the birds at four in the morning. You have nowhere to go. You have nothing to do. But now you wake up early all the time. What, what causes that? Sin, I guess. I don't know. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, It's a time when you get older where the daughters of music are brought low. I think this can mean uh, several different interpretations. And as I was reading commentaries on this, uh, I think partly it can mean that your voice begins to deteriorate as you get older and you can't talk as loud and you kind of talk softer. But I think it also means you're sensitive to music and you're sensitive to noise. You know, we, ha we have this happens every Sunday at the Orchard Church. The young people are like, turn it up! Yeah! And the older people are like, can you turn it down a little bit? And it's, it, you're just getting older. It's okay. It just happens. I am too. Probably I'll be coming in one of these days. Turn it down. Verse 5. He says, it's a time when they are afraid of heights and terrors in the way. You get terrified of heights and you're afraid of falling if you go out. You know, you won't go out at night. Uh, you won't go out in the snow. You're afraid something's going to happen. You're going to break a hip. You know, you're afraid to get on heights. You know, uh, it's men especially. You know, when they're younger in life, you know, they'll, they'll climb up on the roof of their house. No problem. You know, they'll work on the gutters. They'll climb the trees, cut things, you know, walk across poles. They get to a certain age in their life. The wife is like, hey, honey, could you come in the kitchen? Help me get the peanut butter off this top shelf. Oh, no, no, honey, I can't, I can't help you with that. Why not? Well, if I get up there, I'll fall and break everything. It just happens as you get older. He goes on and talks about, I like this one. This was funny. When the, verse 5, when the, it's a time when the almond tree blossoms. As you get older, the almond tree blossoms. What's that talking about? You know what color the almond tree is when it blossoms? White. It's white. He's talking about your hair. You know, one of two things or both are going to happen as you get older. You're either going to lose your hair or it's going to turn white. It's, it's one of those two things or both. This is one reason why my wife, I don't know why I tell you guys these things. This is one reason why my wife does not cut my hair any longer. My wife used to cut my hair. For the last 10, 12 years, she cut my hair. And it wasn't that she didn't do a good job. She did a great job, and it saved us money. It was great. But I recently started going someone else, to someone else having cut my hair. And this lady, her name is Amy. As a matter of fact, she's been coming to our church, and I think I see her this morning. Hi, Amy. She cuts hair. If you need your hair cut, she gives good haircuts. And, and so she started cutting my hair, and she does something that I really appreciate that my wife used to do every time in the last five years that she would cut my hair. Every time she cut my hair, she'd say the same thing. There's more gray this time. Every time. Amy never says that. Please, Amy, don't ever say that to me, okay? Just keep it a secret, all right? But that happens, the almond tree. Then he goes on and says in verse 5, it's a time when the grasshopper is a burden. You know, you just drag yourself along later in life like a grasshopper at the close of a summer season. You know, you might need a cane. You might need a walker. It's sad, but it's, it's true. 
And then look at this next thing he says. When you get older, desire fails. I'm going to be honest with you. This does mean what you think it means. Yes, it does. You can check it in the original Hebrew language. It does mean what it means. I will not make any further comments on this verse other than to say we get comments on this all the time, what Solomon's talking about in the Cialis and Viagra commercials. That's exactly what he's talking about when you get older. We're going to move on. Okay. But see, this is what happens when you study the Bible verse by verse. You have to deal with stuff like that. And then he goes on and says, for a man then, you, all these things happen as you get older. And then here it finally culminates with this. For man goes to where? His eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. You go to your eternal home and people come and they mourn your death at your funeral. I know that's morbid, but it's a fact of life. That's why he's saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because this is where we're all headed. You know, as I was putting this together, I thought about Michael Jackson. Passed away about a year ago, early 50s or 50, right around in there. There was 1.6 million people that put their name in a lottery to try to get two tickets to his memorial service at the Staples Center. It would only hold, I think, 8,750 got to go. And people, the rest of the people, were lining the streets to mourn his death and putting up signs. It was broadcast all around the world. But what happened to him is exactly what Solomon describes. Now here's the deal. Whether you are the king of pop or you're just an average person like you and I, every one of us one day will have to go to an eternal home. And the Bible tells us very clearly throughout Scripture that's one of two places. There's not a third. There's not a fourth or fifth. It's heaven or it is hell. I know we don't like to talk about it, we don't like to say it, but that's what the Bible tells us. And it's very important that we know which eternal home we're going to be in. Where is your eternal home going to be someday when you pass from this life? Now Solomon in verse 6 uses several metaphors to describe the moment of death. And I have people asking me many times questions about the moment of death and the moment after death. And this verse right here in chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 answers many of people's questions. What really happens physically and spiritually when we pass from this life? And Solomon says here in verse 6, here's his description of the moment of death. These metaphors, again he uses that word, remember your creator before the moment of death, before the silver cord is loosed and the golden bowl is broken. The silver cord with a golden bowl on the bottom of it was what it would be like in Solomon's temple and in very wealthy people's houses. It's kind of like our today's chandelier. And it would be hanging by a silver cord and there would be a golden bowl and there would be a, a fire candle in that. But if it was broken, it would fall and it would no longer, the light would go out. He says that the moment you pass from this life, you die. It's broken. The cord, you're, it's, it's it. You're, the light of life goes out. He goes on to use another metaphor. He says, you know, when you die, it's like the pitcher being shattered at the fountain. A pitcher that is on earth and it's useful and it holds water and it's shattered and it's broken and it's gone. It's of no use anymore on the earth. He uses another picture. He says it's a time when the wheel or the wheel broken at the well. You know the well is pumping water. Everything's going well and the well, the wheel is broken. The water stops flowing. It's like our heart stops beating. Our breath is gone. You know life is over. That, that's the moment of death. The finality of it. But here's the most important question. What happens the moment after we breathe our last breath? What happens the moment after our heart stops beating? Well, Solomon answers that in verse 7. Look at it. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who, what's the last two words? 
who gave it. Who gave it? I, I want everyone to understand this morning. Let me just encapsulate what the Bible teaches real quick, very clearly. The Bible teaches in the beginning that God created man from the dust of the ground. He created his body. And then the Bible says in Genesis that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Gave him breath that is also translated spirit in the Bible. And then the Bible says he became a living soul. God made us three in one just like God because God said I'm going to make man in my image and in my likeness. Well what is God like? God is three in one. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when he made man, he made us three in one. He gave us a body out of the dust of the ground. He gave us a spirit and he made us a living soul. We are body, soul, and spirit. Now here's the deal. When our body, when we die, our body, our earthly shell made from the dust dies. It ceases. But our spirit and soul do not die. They never die. They are eternal. And the Bible tells us the moment that the body dies, the spirit and the soul Leave the body and they go, what does Solomon say? Back to God who gave it. We must never forget that truth. Death is not the end. It's really just the beginning. It's the beginning of eternity. And the Bible says, the writer of Hebrews described it this way, Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. We need to all remember that we have two appointments in life. Made, by, made for us by God. We have an appointment with death and we have an appointment the moment after death with God. But I'll tell you what, I, I have appointments all the time, meeting with people and things like that. That is one appointment you better be ready for. You better be ready for your appointment with God. When you draw your last breath on this earth, the next moment you are going to be in the presence of God. And you have to, we have to answer to God. And there's going to be a final exam. And what I love about God is he's given us the answer to the exam. He's given us the question to the exam. Didn't you love it when teachers in school would say, okay, this is what is on the final. It always amazed me how kids could fail that, you know, only by not studying. And the same is true in life. God has given us the question and the answer to the final exam when our spirit and soul stand before God the moment after death. And here is the question. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Did you accept him or did you reject him? And here's the deal. What you do with Jesus in this life determines the next life. It determines your eternal home. We cannot get that one wrong, folks. We got to make sure we get that one right. Because we have an appointment with death and we have an appointment with God. And then in verse 8, he goes on and he says this. For the last time, he said this many times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the theme. As Solomon sought for meaning in life apart from God, he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. We've said many times that word vanity means emptiness, futile. He's saying life without God is meaningless and empty. But this word vanity here has another meaning, can also be translated, it's from the Hebrew word hebel, and it means this, vapor. Vapor of vapors, our life is a vapor. Have you ever heard that before if you know the Bible? James told us that in James chapter 4 verse 14. He says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. You know when you walk outside on a really cold day and you see your breath, that's a vapor. And it's, you just see it for a second and it's gone. That's how our life is described in the Bible. 
I mean, even if you live 80, 90, or 100 years, I had a grandfather that lived three days shy of his 100th birthday. People would say, oh man, he lived a long, incredible life, and he did. But you know what? 100 years in this life is a vapor compared to eternity. We better get some things right in this gift of life that God has given us to enjoy while we have time. As I was studying all this, I'm thinking about my life. I'm thinking about getting older and vitamins and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm 42 years of age. If I lived to 84, which would be pretty good, I'd take 84, wouldn't you? Amen? Especially those of you who are 82 or 83. You're like, yeah, 84. I'm not, I did one more year. 84 would be great. If I make it to 84, my life is half over. It's half over. That's probably really depressing to some of you all, and I'm sorry. But that should get our attention. Solomon is challenging us here to remember that life is short. And we need to view it as a gift from God to be enjoyed with him while we can. When we do, we live life in the sweet spot. We've seen life as an adventure to be lived by faith. We've seen that we need to live life as a gift that we need to enjoy. And let me give you the third and fourth ones as we bring Ecclesiastes to a close. Third picture that he gives us is we need to see life as a school. And we need to learn the practical application is when we view life as a school, we will learn our lessons. Solomon has been teaching us for several months as we've studied through this as a church, many lessons in life to be learned. And notice what he says here in verse 9 and 10 as we, as we go on verse by verse. And moreover, because the preacher, who's the preacher? Solomon, the one writing this. And moreover, because the preacher Solomon was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. We know he wrote the book of Proverbs. The preacher Solomon sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright words of truth. Someone has said that life is like a school, except that sometimes you don't know what the lessons are until you've already failed the exam. Solomon is trying here to keep us as a teacher from failing the exam in, in the school of life. And instead he's trying to keep us from, from failing. He's trying to teach us to live life in the sweet spot with God and apply these truths. And here, church, especially for those of you that have been coming for the last several months and we've been going, you've, you've made it through this entire study with us. We need to ask this question. What are we going to do with what we've learned in the book of Ecclesiastes? What are we going to do with it? I hope we will not close this book today and say, wow, we learned some great things. Boy, I know some things I didn't know before, and that's the end of it. We didn't teach through the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon didn't write the book of Ecclesiastes just so we could learn more knowledge. The key is what are we going to do with what we've learned? How are we going to apply it to our marriage? How are we going to apply it to our parenting skills? How are we going to apply it to our decisions in life? How are we going to apply it to the way we make decisions in life? How are we going to apply it to our relationship with God? It does us no good to study the Word of God like we do here at the Orchard Church if we don't apply what we have learned. It's just kind of like playing golf. You know, you, sometimes golfers go out, you know, and, and they buy all kinds of videos and, to watch, and they, they get golf digest and, you know, magazines, and they read all this stuff and tips. What good is if you read those things and you watch the videos if you don't go to the practice range and hit, hit a few balls? You know, it's like, oh, I watched this video and now I'm going to, you know, shoot par, you know. It doesn't happen that way. And I think we can, we can make that mistake in our Christian lives. We can think that just because we study the Bible and we learn the Bible and we read the Bible, that that's going to change everything. Maybe if you apply the Word of God. Are you with me? Say yes. James said, be doers of the Word and not just 
hearers. Jesus said in John 13, 17, he said it this way, if you know these things, the word of God, blessed are you if you know them, if you've learned them, if you've heard them, no. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you if you say it, church. If you do them. You've got to do them. You've got to apply these truths to your life. You've got to walk out of here and put them into practice in the school of life. You know, sometimes I talk to Christians and I counsel with them and they're struggling in their marriage. They're struggling in their life. They're struggling in decisions. And, and I say, well, you know, what have you, and they're like, I go to church. I study the Bible. I'm being discipled. I go to small group. And I'm like, okay, well, how are you applying it? Hello. <laughs> well, I, I, Shazam, I think we found the problem. It only works if you apply it. I know I'm giving my wife ammunition right now. The vitamins only work if you take them. But it's true. We need to remember this, folks. The Bible was not given to us for information. The Bible was given to us for transformation. And there's a difference. When we apply God's word to our life, we will find ourselves living in the sweet spot. Solomon, we know, was the wisest man other than Jesus to walk the face of this earth. But here was the problem with Solomon. He had all this wisdom and all this knowledge, but for much of his life, he did not apply it. He didn't live it out. If he would have, he wouldn't have had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Problem right there. We need to not make the same mistake. That's what Solomon's telling us. I, you've heard me say this. I'm going to say it again, and you're going to hear me continue to say it. People say, you know, experience is the best teacher. No, it's not. The experience of someone else is the best teacher. That's why God gave us the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't make the mistakes Solomon made. Now you might think, well, why should we take Solomon's advice then? I mean, if he made so many mistakes and he turned his back on God so many times, you know, and he, he did all those things, then why should we listen to him? Here is why. Because when we study the book of Ecclesiastes, we're really not studying Solomon. We're not studying Solomon's words. We're not learning Solomon's words. We're not hearing Solomon's words. Oh, I know he was the writer, but he was an instrument. He was a tool. These are not Solomon's words. They're really whose words? God's word. That's why they're in this book. And you know what? Solomon knew that. He knew these were God's words. Because look at verse 10. The preacher Solomon sought to find acceptable words. And that that was written was upright words of what? Truth. Words of truth. Jesus said in John 17, your word is truth. Solomon wrote these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. God told him what to put down. That's how all of the Bible was written. Look at verse 11. I love this. He says, the words that he gave us are the words of the wise are like goads. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails. Now watch this. this. Man, verse 11 like got me excited to come here today and share this with you guys. This is one of those verses that I couldn't wait to show you. He says, these are words given by one what? Shepherd. One shepherd. Not Solomon. Not man, one shepherd. And how many of your Bibles shepherd is capitalized? Capital S. You only get a, a capitalized name like shepherd in the Bible with a capital if you are God. If you are Jesus. And he's saying, I know I wrote these words. I know I taught these words. But they're really not from me. They're from one shepherd. And that shepherd is God. He has given them to us. You know, 2 Peter 1.20 tells us, that the scriptures came of no private interpretation of man, but holy men of God spoke only as they were directed by the Spirit of God, as they were moved by the Spirit of God. We need to remember everything we have studied. We are not accepting or rejecting Solomon's words. We are responding to God's word. Amen? That's why we're here. 
to hear from God's word and apply these. And I love the way he describes God's word. He says the words of the wise are like goads. This is a shepherding term. A shepherd would have a goad. A goad was a stick with a sharp point on the end of it. And it was used to prod or direct sheep. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture of the word of God in our lives? The Bible tells us that we are like sheep that tend to go astray. And we need to be prodded. We need to be goaded. We need to be directed by God. And you know what he uses to do that? Ding, 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 ding. The word of God. It directs us. It keeps us on track. It keeps us from making really dumb, stupid decisions. It helps us to live life in the sweet spot when we're directed by the one shepherd through the goad of the word of God. And then I love this one. This one is so good. Man, watch this. He says, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails. He describes the word of God. It's like well-driven nails. I love this picture because what he's telling us here is that the word of God will literally hold your life together if you allow it to. It will put you in the sweet spot. It'll hold your marriage together. It'll hold your family together. It'll hold your life together. So many people try to live life on their own and take the best swing that they can. And they try to figure this thing out. And they don't have the word of God holding their life together. We need the well-driven nails of the word of God to hold our lives together. Amen? That's why at the Orchard Church we teach the Bible. That's why we teach verse by verse and chapter by chapter. It's not about what I have to say to you guys. It's about what the well-driven nails of the Word of God has to say. They need to be built into your life. They need to be applied to your life. They'll hold you together. I told the first service this. And I, I, don't, I don't want to put down or pick on other churches because there are some wonderful churches in our community that are teaching the Word of God and building it into people's lives. But there are also some churches in our communities and in our country today that have really just left the Word of God. People come in and they get a little 15, 20 minute, you know, feel good message, you know, practical life lessons, you know, it's real pragmatic. You may or may not hear even one verse of the Bible and people will go out by the thousands saying, well, we feel good, we went to church today. And I'm just gonna tell you guys this, listen. If that's all you get, that might get you by for a little while, but when your marriage is falling apart and your family's falling apart and the tragedies and difficulties of life come and it's not a matter of if they're gonna come, but when they come, you better have the well-driven nails of the Word of God built into your life or you will not make it. You, will, you won't. That's why we're so passionate about this book and this church. And as long as we have anything to do with it, the Orchard Church is going to be known for the Word of God that guides us and directs us and holds our lives together. Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He talked about our lives, again, like a house. And he said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings, my word of mine, and does them, there's the key again, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms come, it holds strong. But on the in the contrast to that, he describes someone else. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You have to decide what is your life built on? What is your marriage built on? What is your family built on? What is holding your life together? You or God's word. Now verse 12, notice what he says. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there's no end. There are books and books and books and books and books out there. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. 
Let me sum it up simply what Solomon is saying here. He's saying this. Don't test God's truth by the many books written by men. But rather test the many books written by men by the book written by God. There's some good books out there. There's some great books out there, but you need to be careful. The final authority in our life is not a book written by man. The final authority is a book written by God. And this is what we need to test everything by and everything we hear. Life is a school. We need to learn our lessons. Our textbook is the Bible. Our teacher, the Bible tells us, is the Holy Spirit to instruct us. And when we view it that way, it puts us in the sweet spot. Now let me give you the final one as we close. We need to view life as a stewardship where we fear God. You see, we need to remember we don't own our lives because life is a gift from God. We are stewards of our lives and one day we must give an account to God of what we have done with the gift of life he has given to us. That's why Solomon has said twice in chapter 12, remember your creator. Remember your creator. What is he saying? Remember God created you. You're a steward, not really of your life, you're a steward of his life. And we have to answer to the owner someday. We don't own our lives. God does. Especially if you're a Christian. Paul said this to Christians in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You don't own your life. God does. He created you. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Now look at these last two verses. This is incredible. Verse 13 and 14. Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I mean, we've been in this study verse by verse. We started in chapter 1, verse 1. We haven't missed a verse. We've studied them all. We've read them all. Solomon's trying to answer the question, is there meaning and purpose in life? It's like we've been climbing up this mountain. Finally, we get to the top, and there is Solomon in all of his glory sitting there. And we're able to say, okay, Solomon, you did all these experiments to find out if there's meaning in life and purpose. What is the final answer? And Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion to this whole matter. Now listen, this ought to have you guys on the edge of your seats. This ought to have your pens ready going, okay, I got to get this. What is the conclusion to this whole matter? Is there meaning in life? Is there purpose in life? Is life worth living? And Solomon's answer is brilliant. It's simple and to the point, it's so simple a child can understand it. It's so simple, I'm afraid if we're not careful, we'll go, oh yeah, I got that. You can't do that. I mean, this is it. This is the climax of this whole study. Here is the conclusion. What is the purpose and meaning of life? Here it is. Three things. What does he say? What's the first one? Fear God. There it is. Fear God. Ecclesiastes ends where the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote begins. In Proverbs 1.7, it says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. One writer said this about the fear of the Lord. They said, the fear of the Lord is that attitude of reverence and awe that his people show to him because they love him, they respect his power and his greatness. It doesn't mean we're afraid of him or we're scared of him. It means we honor him, we reverence him, his power, his majesty, his splendor. That we believe he loves us and he cares for us and he creates us and he knows what's best and we want to hear what he has to say. I believe there's these extremes of how people view God. And one extreme is a false fear of God and the fact that people are scared of God. They see him as this, you know, this, this man sitting on a throne in heaven with a big hammer in his hand that if we get out of line, wham, he's going to just bop us. God doesn't want us to be scared of him. He wants us to respect and reverence him. 
Another extreme is people will say, oh, he's a God of love and he's a God of mercy and he's a God of peace. And, and so he just wants all good things and he would never discipline me. He would never call me out. He would never allow any con- consequences to come. And they, and they view God like this grandpa or Santa Claus. And that's another extreme. And Solomon is trying to help us understand the balance of this fear and respect of God. Man, I think Oswald Chambers said it really well. He said this, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. That's good. Number one, you want to find meaning, purpose in life? Fear God. Number two, what does he say? Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. Keep his word. Do what he says. Don't do what he says not to do. It's simple, but it's profound. If you fear God, here's the deal. You will want to keep his commandments. If you fear him. Because you realize that God created life and he alone knows how it best should be managed. He created it. He made us. Have you ever heard this statement? When all else fails, read the instructions. Men, you need to remember that. I know I do. Read the instructions. And God created our life and he gave us the instructions how it best should be operated. He gave us the owner's manual. I remember one night we, we, um, we were wanting to grill out and um, we had always, when we were first married, we couldn't afford a gas grill. So we just had a little charcoal grill, you know. And man, I hated that thing. You got to wait like an hour to be able to put anything on it. It's got to turn white and all that. And so we saved up enough money. Finally, we had enough money to buy our first gas grill. You know, I wanted to just, oh yes, put the steaks on. So Shelly's like, we're going to grill something tonight. And I'm like, hey, we got enough money and savings. I'm going to go buy Lowe's. I'm going I'm to grab a grill on the way home from work. I'm going to put that thing together real quick and we'll be eating before you know it. 11 o'clock at night. Shelly's like, that grill ready yet? <laughs> It's true. You know why? I didn't read the instructions. You know, it's always bad when you get something together and there's like three or four extra pieces. You're like, oh, what are those for? And I had to take the whole thing apart, read the instructions, but people live their life that way. They just kind of go through life, doing it their way, their own ideas and what every, oh, everybody else, what everybody else tells them to do. Like they created you. There's one person who knows how we should operate and how we think and how we tick. It's God. He created us. Why would we be so foolish to go through life and not keep his commandments? Keep his word. He's trying to help us. And I love what he says after this. Fear God, keep his commandments, commandments, for this is man's what? All. You know what he's saying? This is the purpose of life. Fear God, keep his commandments. Man, if we would just do those two things, our lives would be totally different. Our marriages would be different. Our families would be different. Our church would be different. If all of us, 100% of the time, feared God and kept his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. When Solomon tried to figure out life apart from God, through most of this book, everything was messed up. And there was no meaning. There was no purpose. It was vanity of vanities. But when he looked at life from God's perspective, everything fit together perfectly. And he began to understand what the sweet spot was all about. Here's the final thing. Fear God, keep his commandments, and let her see the last thing. Be prepared to meet him someday. That's what he's telling us in verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment. We will stand before him and meet him, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. We are not owners, we are stewards. Romans 14, 12 tells us this. Each one will give an account of himself to God. Man, listen folks, we need to take that seriously. We all one day will give an account before God. And here's the two, if I could boil them down with the scripture teaches, I would say these are the two accounts you got to give. Number one, 
God's going to go grab a book called the Lamb's Book of Life that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20. He's going to open it up and he's going to see if your reservation in heaven has been made. Is your name in the book or not? You say, well, how do you know if your name's in there or not? It all has to do with what you do with Jesus. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he writes your name, he makes your reservation in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. That's first. And if your, res- if your name is not there, you don't get to stay. Then if your name is there, the second question, the second thing that he's going to look at and he's going to judge you for is, okay, now, now that you knew me, you get to stay here, but I've got some rewards for you that I'm going to give to you. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about these rewards. I'm going to reward you for the things you did for me on the earth with the right motives. And I'm going I'm I'm to reward you for that. And he's going to ask this, what did you do with my life? See, he's not going to say, what did you do with your life? Because it's not your life. He's going to say, what did you do with my life that I gave you? How did you serve me? How did you share your faith? How was I able to use you for my honor and glory? See, some people are only spending their lives. Other people are wasting their lives. God wants us to invest our lives. Corey Ten Boom. Some of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom. She was able to save many Jews during World War II because she would, would hide them in her house because she believed they were God's chosen people, as I believe as well. And she said this, the measure of life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. That's really good. When we view life as a stewardship where we fear God and keep his commandments and are prepared to meet him, we will find ourselves living in the sweet spot as God intended. And it's amazing how much smoother things go. Is your, the question that Solomon has asked throughout this book is this, is life worth living? Is there meaning to life? The answer is yes. If we view life as an adventure that we live by faith, if we view life as a gift that we enjoy, if we view life as a school, we, work, we learn our lessons, we apply God's word, if we view life as a stewardship and we fear God, keep his commandments and we're ready to meet him. I close with this. Professional golfer, professional golfer Paul Azinger was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 33. He had just won a PGA championship and had 10 victories to his credit. He was at the height of his career when he found out he had cancer. He wrote this, a genuine feeling of fear came over me. I could die from cancer. Then another reality hit him even harder. He said, I'm going to die eventually anyway, whether from cancer or something else. It's just a question of when and how. Everything I accomplished in life became meaningless to me. All I wanted to do was live. Then he remembered something that Larry Moody, who teaches a Bible study on the tour, had said to him. Zinger, that's what they called him on on tour. Zinger, we're not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying trying to get to the land of the living. Golfer Paul Azinger recovered from chemotherapy and was able to return to the PGA Tour. But that bout with cancer changed his perspective on life forever. And he wrote this. I've made a lot of money since I've been on tour. I've won a lot of tournaments and I've had a lot of success. But that happiness is always temporary. The only way you will ever find true commitment and fulfillment in life is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He went on to say, I'm not saying that nothing ever bothers me or I don't have any problems. Now listen to this. He said, but I feel like I found the answer to the six-foot hole. Man, that is good. Have you found the answer to the six-foot hole? Paul Azinger was a professional golfer 
who was very good at hitting the sweet spot on a golf club, but was very bad at hitting the sweet spot in life for most of his life until he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And then he found the sweet spot in the most important place in life with God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As we close Ecclesiastes today, Solomon has said over and over, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life is meaningless apart from God. But here's how he closed. When you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you live your life from his perspective in the sweet spot with him, at the end of your life, you will not say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You will say, victory of victories, all is victory. Can you say that? Would you bow your heads?